Howdy everyone, welcome back to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network on this beautiful Friday. I am the machine, you are listening to I Love Basketball. Sabrina is on a splendid vacation at the moment, so it's just going to be me today, Stephen A. Smith style. I just want to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about player empowerment, and we're going to talk about the AD presser. I know that was a while ago, but I haven't gotten a chance to talk about it yet. So, you know, these are truly the dog days of the NBA offseason. You know, we have our roster for the foreseeable future figured all out. Rob Palenka has said we're keeping the last roster spot open for a player down the line. And, you know, I think there's a real air of earned excitement in Lakerland about Anthony Davis and LeBron James playing together, which is obvious. Maybe, but I feel like the key word is earned in that earned confidence. Because uh, I think last season, a lot of us, including me, were way too optimistic about <laughs> the ceiling of that team. I honestly thought we were going to take it all the way to the Western Conference Finals. I'm fairly open about this. Uh, I really did think that I was, (laughs) I was the conductor on the train. I, it was a, an absurd position, um, from me, even if LeBron and everybody else stayed healthy, that would have been a tough ask for, um, our team last year. But that's all to say that I believe our confidence this season is earned based on real basketball reasons. So that's a wonderful change of pace. LeBron has had an entire offseason to rest and recover. I'm pretty optimistic about that. Apparently lost a little weight. He looks f***ing insanely lit. He's so, so buff. It's crazy. DeMarcus Cousins looks like a different man as well. Anthony Davis continues to be a 250-pound man-god-shaped piece of styrofoam that is also somehow a guard. Kyle Kuzma has been working with a shooting coach, which is sorely needed. Danny Green is the shooter that we needed last year, desperately. Um, And we can drool over now. Wonderful. I really do think that Danny Green shooting threes is, is going to be such a profound experience for Lakers fans, including me. Having a properly spaced floor is going to be a revelation for this team. Alex Caruso is the feel-good homegrown talent we didn't even know was really on the table. I mean, I think when we were growing our core, you had the main guys, Tiny Dog, Brandon Ingram, Zoe, Lonzo Ball, and uh, Kyle Kuzma, who we still have. Uh, Alex Caruso is kind of like a cherry. Uh, Not a maraschino cherry because they're gross, but um, the cherry on top, just like a regular delicious cherry. So yeah, he's he's like a homegrown talent from the G League, which is probably one of the coolest things ever. I think that's pretty awesome. The rest of the roster is made up of veteran shooters and locker room guys. I love Jared Dudley. Y'all know that about me. I think he's going to be friggin' awesome. JaVale is back too, which is cool. I like him. Dunker, love that. Kind of fascinating that Kyle Kuzma and Alex Caruso were the two homegrowns that made it out of the rebuild. Blessed to still have a chance with Kyle Kuzma, me myself be. I feel very blessed to. That's still a distant 
but a very possible thing that could happen. So I feel blessed and uh, blessed to still have a guy in Crusoe that we made up a sick nickname for. All of our sick nickname guys are gone except for Crusoe. So Zublaka, Tiny Dog. Um, we didn't really have a good one for Lonzo or Josh Hart, but Zublaka, desperately sad about that. Uh, Tiny Dog, very sad about that. I called him Baby Boy, but Tiny Dog is also very good. But at least we have the Bald Eagle. Basically, we're going to lob and shoot threes, and it's going to be lit. I think we can all agree that this team will be objectively lit. I don't need to convince you to be excited about the season, because if you aren't already, you're a lost cause. There's plenty of evidence. It is shocking to me that people are out there saying that we aren't a title contender. Talent in the West is certainly evenly distributed, which is kind of a welcome challenge, honestly. Anthony Davis actually said that in his presser. He said that he's actually very excited about like the challenge of becoming like the best duo, the best team and winning a championship in such a balanced league. Should be really interesting. Kawhi going to the Clippers sort of brings a new and very fun rivalry to the fore, the LA rival rivalry, as Boston sort of sinks into oblivion, you know, in a world of LeBron AD, Steph Clay, Russ Harden, Kawhi PG, KD Kyrie, not yet but still, and Bede Simmons issues here but still, and the, you know, Giannis and himself, Brooke Lopez, it really feels like Kemba Cantor maybe doesn't quite make the cut as far as big twos go, maybe, but ultimately AD and LeBron are about as good as a big two can get in this league, I think, and they are an absolutely massive two, physically enormous, and I think I saw that they're the highest rated 2K teammates or whatever, so that's pretty cool. Anyway, the roster has been talked over a lot, and I'm not an expert, so go watch some Laker film room videos and podcasts and go listen and read to Silver Screen Roll content. What I want to talk about today is player empowerment in relation to AD's move to the Lakers. I think I've been sort of singeing the edges of this topic for a while, ribbing Bill Simmons and Ryan Russillo for their old man takes, but it's high time I like this on fire. So after that... I will talk a bit about my reaction to the 80 introductory press conference, which, like I said, I know I'm late to, um, but on the Friday podcast, you know, what am I supposed to do? It happened on Saturday, you know? I still want to talk about it. There's a lot of, a lot of really interesting stuff from that presser that I want to talk about, so don't blame me for my day of the week. So player empowerment, a very, very common phrase all over the place now. Um, we're in the era of player empowerment, is what people are calling it. And I, full disclosure, I'm 100% behind this. I don't think players should be expected to have any loyalty to the team that chose them in the draft, especially stars who would have been chosen by whichever team picked their lottery number, like the lottery number assigned to them, essentially, like Anthony Davis. When, you know, teams rarely show that level of devotion to players, they do sometimes. I mean, people talk about the Lakers and Kobe a lot, that, that last contract, but there are also some pretty heinous <laughs> cases of teams not taking care of their players, like Isaiah Thomas, Blake Griffin, DeMar DeRozan, in recent memory, the list goes on. Also, just having autonomy over your own life situation is super important, I think, so 
I do think it's important to point out though that the sort of bending the league to your will thing is only available to a very small portion of players, the one percenters of the NBA, if you will. It's like stars only here, you know. Um, it's, this is certainly the topic of the moment because we've had an absolutely historic offseason with a radical amount of voluntary player movement. The PG storylines have been just as juicy as a peak season peach. Just want to lick it off my fingies. PG asked for a trade after signing a contract in the city that he got traded to after asking for a trade. And they announced the trade the day before the one-year anniversary of Paul George Day, July 7th, in OKC. Absolutely unbelievable. Just fantastic stuff. Kawhi won a championship, then moved teams, which has never happened before. Kyrie left the team he got traded to when he forced a trade. Katie formed a super team, which he then left. This one feels, to me, a little bit more fair because his contract was up and he, he didn't force a trade, but he also won two championships in Golden State, and it felt like he was still going to leave even if they hit the three-beat, so I feel like it's still relevant. And we come to LeBron and Anthony Davis, who are by far the most interesting cases to us Laker fans because we are, of course, currently and in the future benefiting from their empowerment. So this is important to talk about. So LeBron James ostensibly started this new era of player empowerment, famously the decision, <laughs> leaving his home state for Miami. That's a pretty big deal and forming a super team. And Anthony Davis has become one of the most prominent faces of it by demanding a trade from the Pelicans in year seven of his career with still a season and a half on his contract. So there's been a lot of chatter across NBA social media and professional media about LeBron James and Clutch Sports' involvement in the AD trade request. Uh, there's been a little bit of smoke, a little bit of smoke across the internet about how AD is young and possibly got manipulated into the trade request by Rich Paul and LeBron. The overall through line here, though, is that these characterizations of young, wealthy, successful black men in a business overwhelmingly controlled by rich white men, the NBA, by an overwhelmingly rich white male media are probably not based on the opinions of those who actually know these players and how they think. So, uh, you know, we recently started talking on NBA Twitter. I had a brief conversation recently about fans and media members projecting their own ideologies and interpretations um, and motivations onto players and how they make their decisions. So this was in the context of whether players care about what's going on in teams' front offices. This is obviously a big topic of conversation in Lakerland <laughs> because our front office track record in the past few years is fairly atrocious. Um, but, you know, do players make decisions about where to play based on those sorts of considerations? How much is it a factor? It probably factors in a little bit to everybody's decision. So the only way to find out the answer is to ask players. AD got asked something to this effect at his introductory presser, which I'm going to go through in more detail later, by Dylan Hernandez of the LA Times, you know, did the press surrounding the Lakers front office influence his decision making at all? This is a pretty straightforward question. It doesn't really beat around the bush too much. He basically asks AD why he didn't have reservations about coming to such a dysfunctional team, uh, which, you know, touche. Obviously, AD isn't going to say something nasty about the Lakers front office with, like, Rob Polinka right there. Um, so, you know, we must take 
his answer with a grain of salt, of course, but he sort of basically was like, I haven't seen anything since I've been here, um, we'll get into it later, like, haven't talked about it that much, um, I'm just here to win, and the, the, his objective of winning a championship was, like, sort of a through line of the whole press conference. As the Lakers, we are, I think, very lucky because we have a highly established fan base, deep roots, and, like, I think the ego of the Lakers helps with that. Like, I would never be a Clippers fan, like, ever, (laughs) no matter how bad it got. So anyway, and, like, we won't have problems retaining fans as the Lakers, um, and possibly may have less problems retaining and attracting star player well definitely less problems attracting star players but whether we'll have less problems retaining them is another question entirely i feel like it's possible that this summer has taught us that the team is almost incidental like a lot of people talk about like loyalty to the team which feels like they're talking really more about loyalty to the organization And I do feel like the organization has become more irrelevant, um, almost incidental. So they're like mostly bigger market teams because of money. The Knicks, of course, don't count. They are the exception that proves the rule. Kawhi, in pursuit of LeBron levels of influence over the league, and arguably, arguably he's shown that already, finessed his own super team on the Clippers. Like... You have the big market, front office stability, location, and presumably a high level of control over decisions led to him making that choice, but it wasn't really, like, the Clippers as an organization, like a, like a, as a, like, a storyline that enticed him, if you know what I mean. Like, I, he and George signed two-year contracts, which, you know, puts them on the clock to make something happen in the next two years so it really does feel like the team is incidental and like players are just gonna keep going to the best situation that they can with like and recruit each other which I think is kind of a wonderful thing it also puts the Lakers on the clock as well so (laughs) you know Kawhi leaving the Raptors showed that even if they do win a championship like you could still leave Kyrie leaving Boston and PG leaving OKC just shows like how much can happen within even one year on a team. So I don't think any of us will again make the mistake of believing outright when a player makes some big declaration about staying in a city. So yes, all of these big two pairings are probably fleeting, including Anthony Davis and LeBron, but let's make the most of them while they're around, especially you, Boston. I mean, when do you get the chance to watch two such transcendent players as Kemba and Enos Cantor played together. I'm honestly, I'm honestly jealous of how low your expectations are this season. Like, no pressure. Just make the playoffs, beat the Nets a few times while Katie is still recovering. It'll be great. Have fun. Anyway, with Anthony Davis, we'll be reaching for the stars, which will be fantastic. And this characterization of AD as being young and manipulable is, like, obviously infantilizing. NBA players who earn a lot of money as soon as they enter the league, not that a million dollars is not a lot of money, Kuzma, but you know, it's all relative. They learn early in their careers that a lot of people around them are going to try and take advantage of them. 
So seven years down the line, it's not really realistic to think that Anthony Davis is not making his own choices. Like, even said out loud in his introductory presser that he'd been going with the flow before, sort of. Like, letting people dictate his decisions a little bit and believing that people had his best interests in mind. And then he just sort of decided to take control of his career with this move. And Rich Paul and LeBron James helped him. Clutch Sports helped him. So, really, it feels like he was pulling the strings and used that player empowerment tool of Clutch Sports that LeBron James has built to basically carry out his dreams, you know? And take control of his career and put himself in a really positive situation moving forward. So... Really, this feels like a simple case of all of us projecting our own narratives onto someone based on our own worldview. So, also, make sure to apply that to everything that I'm saying as well, of course. <laughs> well, you know, he's 26. You grow up really fast when you're, when you, like, have that much money really young and, like, you're put into these professional situations super young. So, like, he is going to be very mature. And... I'm 23 and I'm not very mature, and I still make very many of my own decisions about my life, for better or for worse, so so it wouldn't be surprising to me at all that a 26-year-old would look back at seven years of service, seven, that's a long time, to an organization that over and over and over again could not do their part to deliver success and say, you know, that's all, folks. I get it. That is all, folks. You had your chance, and you didn't maximize it. So I, you know, that really is not his fault. He's about to enter his prime and he wants to compete. So why should he sequester himself in a city that really couldn't give two shits about NBA basketball and an organization that didn't do enough to maximize his many, many talents while he was still on the team. So he doesn't owe them anything. And I don't think that's just because I'm a borderline millennial. So Anyway, let's not infantilize AD or villainize LeBron and Rich Paul, people whom we do not know. So I already talked about a couple of the questions at the presser, but there were a lot of good questions, actually, with a lot of fascinating answers, and I thought I'd share a few thoughts loosely organized, you know, kind of like bullet points. A lot of it is related to the player empowerment discussion and AD's decision to ask for a trade for the Lakers, because a lot of people were asking about that. Some of it is just small little things. Uh, that I thought were cute or I had thoughts on. First up is Anthony Davis's voice crack when he said that being on the Lakers was something that he's thought about for a long time. Just absolutely the sweetest thing I've ever heard um, in my entire life. And I watch a lot of like big cat cub videos on YouTube. So, you know, I've seen a lot of cute. Uh, and he just had this like determined and like satisfied expression all over his face it just read that he is exactly where he wants to be and he's really proud of the maneuvering that he's been able to accomplish in this to bring the team together the way it has and that was also reflected in Rob's story about the sort of daily roster building phone calls between him LeBron and AD corroborated importantly corroborated by AD because there is otherwise no way of knowing if he's telling the truth Except, of course, in some cases, a simple Google search it will will do, and you'll be able to just hit up IMDb and find out the truth. LeBron has been AD's hero since he was a kid, 
and now he's playing basketball with his hero and like going to be a part of his legacy and LeBron will be a part of AD's legacy and it's just it's just magical. AD calls LeBron his close friend, which is very cool and I think it's very exciting for two very good friends who are a absolute basketball match made in heaven to play together. Very excited about this. I think he should be too. He's in a great spot. AD said he was watching a movie when he found out that the trade went through in a hotel. And when he was asked what movie it was, he said it was maybe a movie about sailors, but he didn't remember it was just on TV, like he was flicking through channels on cable, like it's literally 2005. Or maybe he was watching porn. We'll never know. But my guess is he was watching the 2002 King of Cable, The Count of Monte Cristo with Guy Pierce, one of my favorites to stumble upon in the long hours of flipping through channels in the hot, humid summers of St. Louis, Missouri. Vogel said he's going to push Kuzma to his defensive potential this season. And I'm really excited to see what that looks like. I sort of did some digging on his defensive coaching um, after hearing that, and uh, I read this real stinger of a Ringer article by DJ Foster. <laughs> At the same time, hurtfully scathing and weirdly optimistic about the Lakers' future, so I had to turn some of the Lakers' hate radiating off my screen into comedy fuel to get through it, so here we are. Despite that, <laughs> I did learn something. Vogel is only the second coach after Pop to lead a team to five straight seasons in the top 10 in defensive efficiency across the league, which is pretty incredible. That Pacers team was like a wolf pack on defense, just like gritty and good fundamentals. And I think it's probably a good idea to look up Frank Vogel Pacers defense, that phrase in YouTube. Some pretty cool videos, including one from B-Ball Breakdown from quite a while ago where Vogel talks about his fundamental defensive principles. Pretty interesting video. I can't possibly be the right person to explain what he said in the video to anyone, um, so I just recommend you watch it yourself and uh, figure it out for yourself. <laughs> um, on December 17th, 2015, the Indiana Pacers uploaded a video of an interview with Coach Vogel talking about how they held Brooklyn to 10 free throws in a game. That's pretty incredible. We fell a lot. Uh, the Lakers fell a lot on defense, at least we have in the past. Uh, so, you know, young team, but that's something that I'd like to see drilled into Cal Kuzma and DeMarcus Cousins, because I've been watching some DeMarcus Cousins footage for a Laker film room video, and uh, he fouls on purpose sometimes. <laughs> He bumps, uh, he bumps into people pretty hard out there, but you know, that's why I love him. He's, <laughs> he's, he's a bully. He's the bully in the paint. He's a crucial part of our defense and offense. He's an absolute bully. The offensive fouls are, I'm honestly, I'm for it. I'm for it. It's like a JaVale goaltend. It would be ideal if it wasn't there, but ultimately it means he's going for every single one. It means he's going for every single block he could possibly get. And, you know, it's kind of like a DeMarcus Cousins offensive foul in the post. It's like, he's doing what you want him to do. You can't be mad when he gets a little carried away. You know? Anyway, that's why we love him. So, in case you didn't know, 
DeMarcus joining the team is a personal victory for me because he's one of my favorite basketball players. I love his game, his attitude, ambition, everything. Fantastic. And if you want to watch a legitimate feature-length movie about Frank Vogel's coaching, go check out Half Court Hoops' video on his playbook. I haven't watched it all the way through because uh, I need to carve out a couple hours to really watch it and understand it. I gotta Google some words and it's a whole ado, so... You gotta listen to the LFR podcast, uh, which I produce and edit with uh, Gibson Piper from Half Court Hoops. Um, it's a helpful, very helpful view and comprehension aid. That is all to say, defense and buy-in are areas where we might expect to see some significant improvement next season. And Kuzma especially would just, he maybe has the possibility of taking those next few steps forward into realizing his true ceiling, which I think is really high. I like him. I am really high on him. If he could become not just serviceable, but like an asset on defense, he could be a really important player. Really important player. Him and DeMarcus Cousins are by far, their performance this next season are the most important to like what our ceiling is as a team. So anyway, <clears throat> that was a long one. So there's another great part where AD just describes the experience of leadership on a team of 16 players and a bunch of coaches. And it's just like perfectly wonderful insight into what a functional and healthy team looks like that anybody can step up and say something if they're all in it together and working as a unit and it's just like the essence of team first and team loyalty and it lo- like it just proves that loyalty doesn't have to be to an organization so you know bill simmons who i obviously have a love-hate relationship with as a Laker fan, said that what he'll miss the most in this new era of player empowerment is watching players who have played together for a long time climb over, you know, hill after hill together and create, like, bonds of brotherhood through playing basketball together for a long time. And I just feel like this, like, warm fuzzy and this, like, grit and, and, and that brotherhood is not mutually exclusive with like player empowerment. I feel like they can coexist in the same world. And I just don't think that we should be equating organizational loyalty and like team and teammate loyalty. I think that we can have player empowerment and strong team and teammate based storylines. Cause I assume players play the game partly because those connections are so like incredibly dear and sacred. Anyway, I've never met an NBA player, so what do I know? Arguably, AD is honoring that commitment to friends and teammates as he built a team of his friends. He's personally very good friends with DeMarcus Cousins and LeBron, and like he's literally living his dream. It will be exciting to be able to witness the camaraderie of friends playing together with such a wonderful basketball fit. Perhaps a new way to appreciate the game in this player empowerment era, rather than players who are put together by the organization battling together, it's players that are friends who chose to play with each other you go to battle together for a championship. And I think it's beautiful and I can't wait to see it. <laughs> a little bit on the nose here, but Ramona asked a question about player empowerment and we get the truth, the negative truth. The reason why I even started watching this introductory press conference in the first place, instead of just getting my news from the headlines on Harrison's Twitter, sorry, not sorry, Anthony Davis debunks the Rich Paul LeBron manipulationers theories just dunk savagely on his haters by telling the truth. I'll live with the decision I made, AD says, and as we all must every single day. 
he took control of his career and initiated some power moves that we haven't seen from him before. I think he wants to establish himself as a major player in shaping the landscape of the league, and this was a stunning maneuver to pull it off. And this, this press conference really felt like AD taking control of his narrative, and that was really cool to watch. He literally told his coach, don't play me at the five in front of a room full of reporters. Speaking of not playing the five, Rob Palenka had this like incredible phrase that he used. Like he said he wanted a decade of dominance from AD and I just thought, who wrote that piece of copy? That is incredible. Absolutely. I, I, what a banger. What a banger of a phrase. I hope I get to buy a t-shirt with that on it someday, 10 years from now, when we've had a full decade of dominance from AD because Rob Palenka got a couple of fives for him. One last thing, really. Um, there was a brief mention of uh, the 23 jersey situation that happened, and I'm kind of stoked <laughs> for AD to put on his 23 jersey next year after we win a championship, and he and LeBron are closer than they've ever been. Oh, how they will embrace... I'll cry. I'll cry. I can't wait. I think the significance of three, the number three on his jersey, is not as flashy of a storyline, but it's very heartwarming. It's his number from middle school, and that's adorable and signifies, you know, the beginning of his ascent. And hopefully this is another beginning of a great ascent for him. So in closing, Anthony Davis said in this presser, quote, I think that in a seven-game series, we will come out victorious. Victorious indeed. Thanks for listening to this unorthodox episode of Isle of Basketball. Join me again next week on Fridays.